When I was a freshman in high school, uh, like most young teenage boys who recently had experienced uh, a voice change, uh, the need to shave, also wanted to um, match my newly acquired armpit hair with some muscle on my arms. And so, in order to pursue this, I participated in an opportunity at our, at our local gym where if I cleaned uh, exercise equipment one day a week after school for three hours, I would be given a free uh, membership to pursue this uh, goal of mine of working against uh, my physiology, which was um, at that time, um, I, you could say that my arms were the equivalent of, uh, or you could say my muscles, or better yet, are like, were like mosquito bites on strands of spaghetti. I mean, there was just nothing there. It was like skin wrapped over a skeletal system. I had nothing. And um, to, um, to prove how much I'm not exaggerating, uh, when I started off doing my workout routine thing there, uh, one of the trainers there had me do one of those uh, body fat percentages. Anyone ever done this? Where they like pinch you and weigh you and do all this stuff. Well, um, my understanding was that, and it still is today, that if you are a healthy male, that you want to be somewhere in the neighborhood between 8 and 12% body fat. Uh, between 8 and 12% is a, is a really healthy male. And so as I'm doing my test and uh, getting weighed in the whole bit, um, I weighed in at a whopping uh, 154 pounds at, with 3 pounds of body fat for a grand total of 1.8% body fat. And so in order to push against my uh, God-given gift of physiology, I started this workout routine, uh, which included in it the pinnacle of the weight room, showroom floor, the bench press. It is where, for some reason in men's silly little heads, where strength is truly displayed. The only problem was that the most I could lift as a freshman in high school was 95 pounds, which is a 45-pound bar and two uh, of these 25-pound plates here. Now, you don't have to be a gym junkie to know this is a very non-impressive <laughs> amount of weight, not only to be lifting, but to be struggling to lift uh, with my gym rat counterparts. And so, my goal was, as I kind of saw what was socially acceptable in that space, was the need to get to um, at least 135 on the bar, which you put a couple of these 45-pound plates, and while it's not really that much weight, um, I mean, you can just take one look and be like, okay, that looks a little better, wouldn't you say? And so I was determined. I started adding the little two and a halfs and the fives and the 35 and worked my way up until finally the day came where I was going to max out at 135. And so I positioned myself under the bar. I um, took the weight bar off of the rack, proceeded to lower the bar to my chest and then proceeded to lift the bar nowhere. <laughs> and so, the harder I tried to get this bar off of my chest, the more my back raised up off the bench, causing the bar to roll off of my chest <laughs> and closer to my throat. <laughs> to where, at that moment, I was done. I knew it was over. I was gonna go out of this world 
the same way I came in. A weak and helpless baby. <laughs> who for his saving of his own life couldn't even lift this weight off of his chest. And now, the truth is, I didn't have to die that day. In that there were guys all around me that could, that could curl what I couldn't lift with all my might. And all I would have had to do was just ask for a little help. But there was no way my pride was gonna let me, um, frankly, ask for help on what I should have been kind of like a basic weight and been able to uh, handle it myself. I wasn't gonna ask for the help. And so what ended up happening as I'm choking under the bar was, um, I didn't know this would work, but it just started to happen, is that I started to tilt, I noticed. And I started to teeter, and some of you have seen this happen at a gym. And so I kind of went all the way to the side, and ever so gracefully, the 145 plate just kind of slid right off. Which was fine. But even if you have like a D minus in physics, you know what happened next, right? Yeah. Vroom! <laughs> causing causing a, uh, a very nice scene uh, for everyone. And so the truth is, in that moment, though there were plenty of capable, able-bodied people who could have helped me, I literally had decided under that bar, pretty consciously, I would rather die than go through the embarrassment of having to cry out for help with this measly little weight. And then what ended up happening, of course, was the embarrassment, the scene, the destruction was far worse than had I just asked for a spot, asked for a little help in the first place. And so here's the point. Here's what we wanna talk about together today. All of you here today, as I look out among you, I mean, you are a good-looking bunch. I mean, you're looking good today. You got your smiles with you. You got dressed up, some of you. Uh, you... <laughs> that wasn't meant to be funny, but... And I see in the halls and we're, you know, we're shaking hands. We're, hey, how you doing? It's doing okay. How about you? And on the outside for this hour together, I mean, we all can look pretty good. It doesn't take much for us all to look pretty good for just a mere hour on the outside on a Sunday morning together. But if we dig a little deeper and you're honest, on the inside to the question, how are you doing really? Well, many of you today, if you're honest with yourselves, you're not doing okay. You're not okay today, that your inside doesn't match the outside of what we have here on a Sunday morning. And not necessarily saying that you should unload all your stuff on a Sunday, but the reality is, um, you're not okay. Maybe for you, it's, um, it's a marriage relationship that uh, on this day, it's hanging on by a thread. It's hanging on by a thread. Or maybe your work situation. Maybe it's in a really, really tough place and you just have no idea what your next move is gonna be or maybe depending on where you're at in the org chart, what the next move on you is gonna be. Maybe for you, you've made so many trips to the hospital of late, you almost feel like you should be able to enroll in some sort of frequent flyer mile like point system to kind of help with all the mounting medical bills. And uh, the reality is, is that the weight of your physical health is pulling down your emotional and your spiritual and your personal life as well, that it's all interconnected. 
or maybe it's not your health, but maybe it's the health of someone very close to you, someone you love, whether a parent or a spouse, brother, sister, um, or even a child. And, and the despair of it is just taking up all of your life's bandwidth. Um, here's one maybe that we don't talk about much in church, but we should. Um, maybe in your life you, you really struggle with worry, um, worry that's led to um, anxiety, and anxiety that's led to depression, and depression uh, that's even led to suicidal thoughts. And based on how many people are in this room, there's probably a couple dozen who go all the way down that track here today. And maybe, maybe you just, maybe you don't even know why you're not okay, but you know enough just to know enough to know that you're not okay today. And while you might be saying to yourself or have been saying to yourself, I got this. I got this. It it shouldn't be a big deal. Or maybe at best you said, you know, I'm going to get some help. I'm going to talk to somebody. The reality is um, you are experiencing um, what we know that uh, really our, our intentions, our intentions for us can be very ambitious liars. They can be very ambitious liars in that they can be very good at convincing us and our own selves uh, that we've got something and that we're okay and it's gonna be okay when we're really not. Because the truth is, we would rather, given the choice, we would rather suffer under the weight of it all, whether 135 pounds or 1,000 pounds, whatever it is, we would rather experience that suffering than experience what we perceive would be the suffering of actually having to humble ourselves and actually get help. And the reason that you know this is functionally true uh, is because it has been. It's been functionally true for you uh, maybe for weeks now, possibly months, maybe even years you've been living under that. And so... To the question, how are you doing really? Many of you are not doing okay. Now, in the inverse, there are some of you who are doing okay. You're doing just fine today, and you feel like, oh, this doesn't really like, relate to me, so I guess I could go now. Um, there'll be a day when you're not okay. You're not going to be okay forever. You're going to be not okay again. Um, or even maybe more appropriately point on for you today is you can have an ear for someone in your life who you know is not okay that you might be able to speak into as a result of what we talk about today. Because here's the reality. Jesus says, in your life, there's gonna be times you're not okay. In fact, Jesus doesn't promise us ever that you're gonna have a life that is okay all the time. He doesn't say you're not gonna have troubles in your life. In fact, he says quite the opposite in John 16, 33, quoting Jesus, in this world, you will have trouble." But he goes on to say, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Which means that even though he won't prevent all the troubles from coming our way, he does want to help us see us through the troubles in our world. And so we're going to look at scripture a little bit to reveal how we can experience um, and kind of navigate what it means to not be okay as we look at Psalm 42. Uh, So I'd encourage you to open up your Bible. Um, If you don't have one, there should be one in the pew rack there in front of you. Um, that you, can, you should use, because I'm going to kind of go back and forth, and it'll be helpful to uh, follow along here. And uh, the Psalms, if you're not really familiar, are essentially um, a collection of, of poems or songs. They're really expressions, uh, written prayers, where the writer is getting very honest with himself 
as well as getting very honest with God regarding how things are really going. We see that in the Psalms. And the writer of this particular Psalm, I'll go ahead and just give you the heads up. He's not okay. He is not okay. And he expresses it this way. We're going to read it in its entirety. Follow with me. He says, uh, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. All the while, people say to me all day long, where is your God? And so maybe just a few verses in, you can already relate uh, to this writer in the midst of your not okayness that uh, maybe there's even voices around you saying, man, where is God in this? In fact, if you're really honest, the primary voice for that is probably your own, wondering, man, where is God in this? Psalms goes on, verse four. It says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. So why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls out to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning and oppressed by the enemy? My bones, they suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, and I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And so as we, we read this, this psalm, this, this writer, we, we can kind of see um, how he's kind of expressing things all over the place. He's just kind of letting it all out as uh, we see he's kind of in the midst of his pain and he's suffering. He's saying, where are you, God? Why have you forgotten me? Yet, at the same time, on the other hand, we see, frankly, he's saying some good things about God and who God is. We see this on the one hand, he says in verse 5, 6, and 11, he says, my soul is downcast. The New English translation translate this uh, appropriately. I am depressed. He's saying, I am depressed. In fact, the writer today would be clinically diagnosed depressed. In fact, to, to make sure of this, I actually asked a licensed psychiatrist this past week, hey, diagnose the writer of Psalm 42. He would be diagnosed depressed. And frankly, honestly, none of us need to call a psychiatrist or psychologist on this one. I mean, you can see as he describes what's going on. I mean, verse three, my tears, he's saying, I have no appetite, I can't eat, so my tears have been my food day and night. For breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I'm eating tears, crying. Verse 10, it says my bones, my body suffer mortal agony. And studies conclude this, physicians agree about it. In fact, if you've experienced it, you know. Not being okay, the emotional pain, um, doesn't rest simply encapsulated within and of itself, 
but it's like a, it's like a spider web that, that affects all the areas of our life, our physical health, our sleep, our relationships, uh, even, quote, as it says, our bones, our, our bodies suffer mortal agony. And so we see this guy, he's, he's letting out all this pain, all this struggle, and his frustration with, with God in the midst, that he's, he's kind of left him hanging. But yet at the same time, in the same breath, verse two, he is the living God. Verse five, put your hope in God. Verse eight, the Lord directs his love at night and his song or his voice is with me. Verse nine, God, my rock. Then verse 11, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. And so as we read this, we see these seemingly contradictory sets of statements where you've got depression and despair on the one hand, and yet on the other, he's saying, well, God is my rock. Trust him, even praise him. And so the question I have as I try to understand where this guy is coming from, which is it? I mean, is he depressed by his circumstances or is he hoping in God? Well, the answer, ultimately, is yes. In that yes, both and. In that the writer is actually not expressing a contradiction, but he's revealing a tension, an interplay between two truths, two coexisting realities, and that yes, this writer is in fact obviously in great despair, and yes, he is doing everything he can to trust God in the midst. In fact, we reflected the expression of this writer in the first song that we sang here together. We said, you know, blessed be your name. You know, through the good and the bad, still I will say, blessed be your name. Jesus himself, in fact, reveals how how this tension, how this paradox not only can exist, but actually does exist within all of us at certain times in our life. Um, Mark 2.17, Jesus says, um, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Saying, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in this context, you can actually picture uh, Jesus using, um, you could say like sarcastic giant air quotes over the word righteous, in that he's really getting to a group of people who thought they were self-righteous. He's saying, I haven't come to call the self-righteous, pointing out what it says in Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Ecclesiastes 7, and then later Romans 3. Um, They all say the same thing, that there is no one righteous, no, not even one. There is no one on earth who never sins. There is no one who always does what is right. There is no one who is perfect. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not coming to call the self-righteous. I've not come to call the ones who, as we kind of painted a little earlier, um, those who act like they have it all together all the time. No, I have come to call sinners. I have come to call the ones who are willing to confess and admit that which we are able to hide behind on an hour on Sunday morning, that beyond that, we all have areas and stuff and times in our life that are not okay. And so hear from Jesus himself. He's telling us, hey, it's okay to not be okay. And sometimes, if all you see is an hour on a Sunday morning, you don't necessarily get that feeling 
about what Jesus has in his church because for an hour we can do pretty good. But you need to hear from Jesus, both from him and what the church is to be. It's to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. Nevertheless. It's a great word you see in scripture, by the way. Anytime you see that word, nevertheless, good stuff's coming. Nevertheless, uh, Jesus goes on in Matthew 11 to say this. He says, given this reality, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and all you who carry heavy burdens. In other words, come to me, all of you who are not okay. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. He goes on to say, take my yoke, which means take my way. Take my way upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. And so maybe today you really relate to the psalmist, the writer, who's saying, man, my soul is downcast. Well, Jesus says, well, then come to me. And then regarding your soul, you can find rest for your soul. You will find rest for your soul. So Jesus is telling us, if you're not okay, it's okay. It's okay to not be okay, but then Jesus goes on to say, hey, don't stay that way. It's not okay to stay that way. And the reason it's not okay to stay that way is because that's not God's best for you. And God and Jesus wants to give you his best. He wants to give you his rest, and we gotta come to him in order to do that. But know that importantly that it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And so To do that, we need to do as Jesus said. We need to come to him. We need to take his yoke, his way upon us. We need to learn from him as he teaches us and you will find rest for your soul. And so, how do we do that? How do we take our not okayness to Jesus? What does that look like if we're gonna go find this rest that he promises us? Well, I can tell you the Sunday school answer to that question. How do we find Jesus? We all know that, well, you know, go read your Bible and, and pray more, right? Um, which is absolutely true. Um, but can I just say as an aside that when you're <laughs> trying to help somebody who's going through a really difficult time in their life who maybe, you know, does pray and read their Bible, that for you to say, um, essentially, go do that more, it communicates in a sense like, hey, you're depressed because even though you work real hard, um, it's not working, so uh, work harder. Not that helpful, all the time. And so I'm not saying, again, I'm not against prayer. I'm not against Bible. You know, um, I'm, I'm all in. Uh, I get paid to do that. So um, I, I'm convinced. But what, before we just write someone's stuff off as a simplistic, hey, go pray more, go read your Bible more, let's take a closer look and slow down at what the Bible actually has to say and to reveal to us about how it's okay to not be okay and how not to stay that way. And so we're gonna unpack some of these things and if uh, you're a note taker, you might wanna take some of these things down uh, as this uh, I think could be helpful again to either you or to someone you might be, uh, God might be placing for you to help. The first thing that we have to do is we have to first admit. We have to admit, hey, I'm not okay. We see this in uh, the writer of Psalm 42. Um, that's what he's doing. He's admitting to God in prayer, hey, my soul is downcast within me. 
And we says the other translation says, I am depressed. Other translations say, I am deeply discouraged. Another says, my soul is in the dumps. And so the psalmist is admitting, hey, I am not okay. Now that might seem like a really basic step, but what I've learned uh, looking at my own stuff over my own life, if you're anything like me, I actually expect and want things to get better before I even admit there's actually something wrong. You with me on that a little bit? Yeah, we're just like, oh, I'm starting to feel something. I just hope it gets better and I just don't want to go there. Uh, we want things to get better before we even admit something is wrong. Like me uh, as a freshman trying to get that um, you know, measly little weight off my throat. I had the sense like, you know, I'm a guy, or as the, the Brad Paisley country song goes, I'm still a guy. Anyone? Yeah. It's like, I'm still a guy. I should be able to lift this measly 135 pounds off of my chest. However, when that thing hit my throat and that steel was pressed against my jugular, I knew it's time to admit, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And so, for some of you here today, you need to take that first step. You need to start at ground zero. And you need to stop saying, I got this. It's gonna be okay. You need to stop saying, you know, it's just, it's just a little off season in our marriage. We're gonna be fine. It's no big deal. You need to not be saying, oh, you know, it's just a little breakdown in communication at work. It'll be fine. And you need to not say, it's just a funk. I'm just in a funk. I'll snap out of it. I'll be fine. And you need to take that first step. You need to take the first step to admit, ground zero, hey, all right, I am not okay right here. From there, step two um, is also not to skip this step. Um, because, again, like me, if, especially guys, we want to fix things quick. And so once we've taken the time to identify it, we don't want to mess around. Like, let's get this thing handled. Let's get this thing fixed. But the thing you have to stop and do, secondly, is you have to take some time and actually, we'll say, be with it. You need to be with it. You need to be with the pain. You need to acknowledge the weight of it, whether it's 135 pounds or 1,000 pounds. You need to be with it. And again, we see this modeled uh, in the psalmist just in the very act that he wrote the psalm, that in writing it, he is uh, processing what's going on. He's journaling this out, if you will, getting honest with the full weight of what's on him and what's going on in his life, not just for himself, but also in prayer, before God. And so um, one, so you need to be with it. You need to take some time and acknowledge the full gravity of what not okay is in your life. And a real practical way you can do this is to follow the example of the psalmist, and that is to journal it, to actually write it out for yourself um, and as a prayer before God. I've heard it said this way. Thoughts disentangle themselves when passing over lips and through pencil tips. Um, and uh, if you've ever kind of journaled something out or maybe even just written a letter to somebody or even an email where, you know, face-to-face it just wasn't working but you were able to express it, uh, there's something, you know, in writing or typing, you know there's something about the act of writing or, or, or something to that effect that just slows down your thoughts and just helps you kind of untangle the mess in your head and kind of get that confusion and that emotion out in a way that better captures how you actually are not okay and how you're really doing. Uh, now, I'm not saying you have to go become a journaler. You don't have to go get like a hipster beanie hat and live out of the corner of a coffee shop. And kind of, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying 
grab a sheet of paper, a napkin, maybe flip open the laptop, or even your phones. Everyone can do this on their phones these days, dumb phones, smartphones, they all have a note-taking opportunity. And just start getting it out. Start letting it out, start putting it out there through pencil tips or fingertips, uh, whichever works for you. But get it out and start to lay it um, out both for you and as a prayer, surrendering it to God. And from there, uh, we, need to, we need to confess it, uh, not just over pencil tips, but also over our lips as well. We need to get this out um, with someone else. The book of James in the Bible talks about um, how, you know, if any one of you is, is sick or needs healing, which to all this stuff relates, uh, that part of that process, it says, is to therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be, and say that word so you're still awake, healed. That you might be healed. Get this out into um, the ears of a trusted other and that you might be healed. In my uh, first few years on staff here, I, um, when I was in my early mid-20s, I affectionately refer to that time as what was my mid-20s crisis, or my quarter-life crisis, I call it. Um, in fact, it's very interesting. There's actually a lot of developmental sociological stuff that they're discovering about uh, you know, young people in their 20s kind of figuring life out and kind of the, the funk. Anyway, and without getting into all that, um, for me, in that particular season of my life, uh, I was diagnosed clinically depressed and all the stuff that goes with that. And when I look back on that season of my life and what it is that brought healing, as, it, as James suggests that we can find, in that season of my life, one of the essential markers that I look back to and give credit to what saw me through that was having a real friend to really talk to about it. For me, that friend came out of actually our very first uh, Grow Together small group that uh, my wife and I were part of 10 years ago. Um, he was someone that uh, I could talk to and I could trust, and he helped see uh, me through it. In fact, we kind of got away from it the last few years, and uh, here this past year, we just said, hey, we need to get back into that. And so once a month, um, this guy and I, and I don't want to embarrass him, but, so I won't say his name, but we get together once a month, um, and we sit across the table, either coffee or lunch, and simply ask the important question, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Because, and expect an honest answer, because it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. And so I have someone that I can say, hey, I'm not doing okay, but I don't want to stay that way. And so you've got to have that in your life. In fact, I know this sounds kind of foo-foo, particularly to, to guys, but I think deep down we all know it's not. Uh, in fact, Galatians uh, 6.2, Jesus Christ, who's not foo-foo um, at all, obviously, <laughs> says that if we're going to follow him in his word, it says that we need to, if we're going to be the church in each other's lives, we need to find people. We need to carry or bear, other translations say, bear one another's burdens, that in this way you fulfill the law, fulfill the way of Christ. And so we recognize that's impossible and not even practical or even a good idea to do in an hour together sitting shoulder to shoulder on a Sunday morning. And so what we do here is we really strongly encourage that every person get involved in either a grow together or a serve together group uh, with that operative word being together, that you're doing life together. Uh, frankly, that's the whole mission of our church. We say that we want to all become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ by, through the means of our growing and serving 
together, that we're actually gonna be doing life uh, together. And so um, if that's not a part of, of your life right now outside of this Sunday morning, well, then I'd encourage you to uh, check out um, what we call the Get Connected wall that's just outside of these doors as you exit. You'll walk right into it. It looks like this. Um, and what you'll see on that wall are all these little cards. And each one of those cards represents uh, a different group that is saying, hey, we've got space and room and we'd love for you to be a part of it. And there's some contact information on there that you can get plugged in. Also, the um, little two iPad kiosk things there, you can directly connect with them that way. Or if you're tired of listening to me, you can even go on your smartphone right now and go to firstdecatur slash connect and find it all there as well. And so, um, and I would even say what doing that is more important than even listening to the rest of the sermon. So, um, because church doesn't exist in an hour together on a Sunday morning, that church exists in being the church in one another's lives by, quote, bearing one another's burdens. And that doesn't happen by accident. We have to be intentional. We actually have to get involved with some relationships. And I'm not saying you're gonna be best friends with all 12 people in your group. That's not very realistic either. But out of that group, there'll be two or three that you kind of click with and connect with and become some good friends. And then out of that two or three, I trust that God's gonna honor his promise. And there'll be one. There'll be one that you can sit across the table from and say, hey, I'm not doing okay. Um, But I know it's not God's best for me. And I don't want to stay that way. Let's talk this out. Would you pray for me? Stuff like that. So, um, gotta find that person and you gotta be intentional and take the time and commitment to do it. All right, fourthly, turn from it. Once you've processed it and you kind of got an idea of what it is that's going on, you've gotta turn from it. Hebrews 12.1 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so in this race, in this marathon of life, if we're gonna run well the race that God has laid out for us, he says that first we're gonna have to throw off the sin that tangles us up, that prevents us from running a good race of life, if you will. And so Upon processing this pain, whether through a pencil tip or over your lips, you might discover there is some sin in your life that is tangling you up, that you need to cast off, that you need to turn from, or literally, that's what the word repent, if you say repent of sin, it really means to turn from that sin, to repent from it, to turn away from it. And so, maybe for you that's sin. Um, Maybe it's a relationship deal where the sin of gossip and slander is uh, just tearing everybody down. The people you're in relationship with, it's tearing you down. And you need to turn from that. You need to turn from that way. You need to repent of that. Maybe for you it's um, sexual immorality. Uh, That it's just, it's robbing you of the freedom and God's best for you in that area of your life. God doesn't want to squelch your fun. He wants to free you and give you the best possible life, which he believes is a life of purity. And so maybe that's an area you need to turn from and turn to God in. Uh, Or maybe there's some other sin area in your life. But with that, um, even as we think about sin, it, it might not be a sin that's hindering you and holding you back. As Hebrews says, yes, let us confess and turn away from and throw off the sin that so easily entangles. But also, he says prior to that, let us throw off everything else. Let us throw off everything that could be hindering us. Meaning for you, maybe your not okayness isn't a sin issue, but it's just something else in your life that's just not God's best for you. 
And so that could be a thousand different things that upon you know, discovering it, you just need to throw it off. It's tangling you up. It's hindering you in God's best in his race that he's marked out for you and your life. And so as we throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, uh, as I kind of already alluded to, don't just turn from it, but turn toward God. In turning from whatever it is that's holding you up, make sure you turn to God at the same time. That's what the psalmist is doing. That's what he's saying. In the midst of processing all of his junk and what's not okay, he says in verse one, like a deer pants for water, in the midst of this, my soul pants for you, my God. Verse two, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In verse seven, he says, deep cries out to deep, meaning I'm giving you the depth of my pain and I wanna call out and give that over to the even greater depth of who God is and what he wants to do in the midst. And then verse five and 11 both say, put your hope then in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. In fact, that's what Hebrews 12 goes on to say. And as we throw off sin and, and the stuff that tangles us up and hinders us, it says to run with perseverance then the race God has marked for us by, it goes on, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. By fixing our eyes on him who is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith that in his example for the joy set before him, that joy P.S. being you and me, for us, for what we celebrated and remembered in communion, for what was set before him endured the cross. That as we think about our pain, we consider the not okayness of Jesus on that day and all the pain that he experienced. And as we consider all that he did and all the pain he went through, we will not grow weary and lose heart. And so, pray. Yes, pray. I know I kind of joked about it earlier, but yes, pray. Pray to God and turn to him and see as he honors his promise that we can come to him and we will find rest for our souls. Now, what I'm not gonna tell you, I'm not gonna make you this promise that if you pray this prayer, then everything's just gonna turn around. Your circumstances will be transformed instantaneously. I can't make you that promise. But what can I, I can tell you from my own experience um, while one prayer is not gonna change everything, I assure you of this, prayer and trusting God, it starts there. And it carries you through that. That's a weird sound. Anyway, maybe that was God, I don't know. And so prayer's not gonna solve it all, but prayer does take you through and carry you through it all. Because here's what I learned um, as I offered up my stuff uh, a number of years ago to God, my, my whole, as I, again, look back on that, that big dip, and frankly, all the dips along the way. Um, while my prayers to God consisted of asking him to change my circumstances, that was what I was fed up with, that's what I was frustrated with, I was frustrated with my circumstance. What God wanted to do in me was not actually to do anything about my circumstance per se, but what God responded to me was, Brian, I'm not gonna change your circumstance. I wanna change your heart. I wanna change you. And so discover that even though our circumstances might be holding us down, um, it's through prayer that God wants to change you even in the midst of them. Or as Richard Foster says, to pray is to change. And so yes, turn to God through prayer and back a couple steps Trust your friend to take that 
to God in prayer for you as well. And then as you pray, lastly, as you pray in the midst of those prayers, remember God's faithfulness. As you pray to God, remember God's faithfulness in the past. We see the psalmist doing this as well in verse four and six. The psalmist remembers a time that was different than the current circumstance that he was in. He says, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Now, this isn't a Sarah McLaughlin commercial to save the puppies, remember you. Um, Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, This is saying, remember what God has done. Remember that even though this is your circumstance, this is not your story. This is not your story. That that's the lie Satan wants us to believe. In John 10, 10, speaking of Satan, it says that Satan, who is also very real, exists to steal, kill, and destroy the story, the race uh, that God is trying to write in your life. Um, And he's trying to lie to you, saying, hey, this circumstance right now, he gets us to believe that this is our whole story. You know, this is how it's always been. This is how it is. This is how it's always gonna be. And even more uh, penetrating is this is who you are. This is who you've always been. This is who you're always gonna be. And it's a lie. It's a lie that he wants us to believe that this uh, incident, this circumstance, this temporary reality is our whole reality, is our whole story. And so don't let Satan take you captive. Continue to be reminded uh, by trusting God in prayer. Again, looking back saying, okay, wait a second. I've been here before and God saw me through it before. And so by remembering God's faithfulness of the past, you can stand on that both for your present and for your future as he continues to work in your life and to work through you uh, to move from a place where even though it's okay to not be okay, um, because it's not God's best for you, he doesn't want you to stay that way. Well, as we bring this to a close, um, to make an effort to capture just how important uh, this is holistically for our whole church and for each and every one of us as a part of this church, um, let me ask you this. How many of you know what a diaper genie is? Diaper genie, show of hands. Okay, good, I know what I'm dealing with. How many also know, the, uh, the next grade up, the, uh, the blueberry-scented bags that you can get to go with your diaper genie, yes? Okay, all right. For those of you who don't, a diaper genie is this specially made design like trap door garbage pail that sits in the corner of your baby's bedroom where parents can take Uh, the fresh biohazard, (laughs) drop it into the blueberry-scented bag, tie it up, tie it off, and then go drop it in this diaper genie. Kind of looks like almost like a a spaceship escape hatch thing that you drop in, you kind of pull the shutter over, and whoosh, like genies do, make it, you know, make the you-know-what, and it stank, magically disappear. Now, Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, babysitters, tell me, does this actually work? Oh, with some confidence. If you know, does this work? Does this get away with it? No, you're not. Very convincing. Um, No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now, magically, I no longer like blueberries. But no, it does not not accomplish what it promises to do. 
I guess that's okay in church. I don't know. <laughs> if we are really going to be the church, if we're going to be the kind of church where, hey, it's going to be a place where we represent Jesus well. It's not for the self-righteous. It's a place where, hey, it's okay to not be okay here. But it's not okay to stay that way. We want to help see you and bring healing through that process. If we're going to be that kind of church, then we can't be the kind of church that only exists all polished up on an hour on a Sunday morning. A place where, kind of metaphorically, we tie up our stuff in a blueberry-scented bag and try to bury it down some hatch somewhere uh, because it just doesn't work. If we're going to be the kind of church where it's okay to not be okay and to begin to find healing and process through that then we need to be a church that exists outside of this hour together on a Sunday morning, that's involved in one another's lives. We gotta be involved in relationships and the groups that we talked about earlier. And um, even frankly, we try to do that as much as we can here on that Sunday morning hour each week by our commitment to pray together. That in our um, coming forward and saying, hey, I'm gonna pray with somebody about something, says, hey, I'm not okay, and that's okay but it's not okay to stay that way. And so um, kind of reflecting two of the moves in there, if today um, you've got stuff that you wanna maybe get past your lips uh, and and share with a a trusted other, there's gonna be some leaders here at the front of the church who would uh, be honored to hear your story and and, and listen to you, as well as even more importantly, take that to God in prayer together. And so with that, I invite you to stand. And uh, I'm gonna pray for us all in this. And if we can pray for you specifically about any of it, we're gonna sing a song that, Uh, really represents all that we've been talking about in being able to take all our not okayness to God that we might find healing in the process. And so let's pray together. Father, I give you thanks today first for those who are doing okay today. Um, That's good too. And may they not take that for granted. May they thank you as we said, in both the good and the bad, may they thank you and recognize you are the giver of uh, this good season in their life. And may you leverage that, Lord, to, to have the space and the energy to be a listening ear and a friend uh, to someone who's not doing okay, um, either in this church or outside of this place. Uh, and so would you lead them there? But Father, for those who, uh, man, they walked in looking good, but they know on the inside, not okay. I pray, God, that you would honor the promise that we know you are longing to honor in their lives, that they would come to you, burdens, wearisome, and they would find rest, rest for their soul. As we call out uh, in the depth of our pain uh, to the even greater depth of who you are, uh, we trust you to bring us healing. Would you do it in the name of Jesus? That's why we pray, because it's you that does it. Amen.